Hey everybody, before we get into today's episode, I want to take a minute to introduce our latest service called Crowd Insight by Gadgetflow. It's an awesome tool we made to help you get honest feedback for your upcoming crowdfunding project. Some of the big results we've seen include increased conversion rate, finding out why your project isn't performing well, and getting feedback you need from potential backers. So please head over to gadgetflow.com slash crowd insight to check it out today. You can also find a link in this week's show notes. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, world. This is the Gadget Flow Podcast, the show about everything related to products, entrepreneurship, marketing, and crowdfunding. This week, I got to chat with Jay Myers of Bold Commerce, and Bold Commerce is Shopify's largest partner. So he has a team of about 260 people. They have roughly 20 or so apps with about 100,000 installs. So these guys are truly experts when it comes to being successful in e-commerce. And we are so excited to have Jay on to hear his expertise and insight. So let's jump into our interview. All right. I am here with Jay from Bold Commerce. Jay, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing awesome, man. Thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're really excited to have you on. We're trying to dive a little bit deeper into the e-commerce world, and it doesn't get any better than bold commerce and what you guys do. So maybe for people who, do, uh, who don't know who you are and what you guys do, would you just give a little bit of background into what bold commerce offers and what, what exactly you guys do? Yeah, for sure. So we, are, uh, we, we build e-commerce tools. Uh, Primarily, it's been all around Shopify. Um, we our tools, our, our I say tools, our apps, their solutions. Um, they are expanding on to work on multiple platforms. Um, but Shopify has been the biggest focus for us. We're we're Shopify's largest partner. So our tools range from really the way we look at it is we try to solve about six core kind of solutions. So everything around conversion, everything around um, internationalization um subscriptions is a very big focus for us um customization loyalty and then everything around the checkout so those are our six core focuses and then we have uh, probably 22 public apps and probably about 100 private apps um and then a suite of apps and services that fall under each of those so if you run a store on shopify shopify is the platform we build tools, apps that plug into Shopify that enhance it some way. So, for example, if you want to run a subscription program, you can't do that natively on Shopify. You would install our subscription app, and then that would manage everything about the recurring orders, and it's a portal for your customers to manage their subscriptions, update, edit, all that kind of stuff. So we plug into e-commerce platforms. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And you guys, I mean, it's, it's, it's also what I've learned is you guys are a very large operation you guys are north of 250 employees am i am i right about that number yeah yeah i think we're yeah around 260 yeah wow that's amazing man okay so i have a ton of questions about e-commerce and i have a ton of questions about (laughs) and and i have a ton of questions about running the business but maybe before we jump into that i want to know how bold commerce came to be like how did you guys come up with the idea what about the shopify platform and what opportunity did you see and how did you build it and then succeed in, in uh, solving this problem you guys are really filled? What, what's the story there? Yeah, sure. I, so I was a store owner. Um, 
I have run online stores since 1998, uh, so that'll age me a little bit. But um, started way back 98. Built actually the first store I ever built was with Microsoft Front Page, and um, kind of went through the whole eBay era. Ended up moving like building my own brand, my own company. Um, so when you're selling on eBay, you're kind of renting customers. You're paying for the marketplace. You don't really own the, your brand and your customers and your uh, relationship with them. Right. So in around 2004 or five, I think, um, kind of like, so well, I started my own online store in 2009, moved it on to Shopify. And I remember getting an email one time from actually from MailChimp and it said, Hey, MailChimp now works on in the app store and Shopify. And at the time the app store was super basic. Like I think there was maybe 30 apps and they were, when I first launched my store, they, and they were all just integration apps. So like integrate with MailChimp, integrate with UPS, integrate with QuickBooks, integrate. It was just Shopify built an API, which allows third parties to plug in. And it was really designed to allow it to sync with all these third parties. So I came at it with a bit of a different look. Like I was looking at the app store thinking, well, how can I make more money on my store? Right. Um, so I had a lot of ideas, but I'm not a developer. So I just, I didn't have the ability to build them. And one day I was talking with my buddy, Steph, and he's a designer and he knew these two developers, which we kind of knew mutually as well too. And he said, Hey, well, why don't we kind of just experiment and build one and you can use it on your store and we'll see if we can, make a little beer money on the side like it was it was really right. an experiment so the first the first thing we did was that we built an upsell app and it was very basic it was you you'd be shopping you click add to cart an upsell pops up you're buying a leather jacket it says hey would you like the leather treatment kit it seems very commonplace now at the time this was so this was 2012 when we launched that it we didn't know it i wish we could say we could take credit for this but it it turned out to be pretty revolutionary, but we didn't know that we were just building something that we thought would help us make more money on the stores. Right. Um, but it was actually the first time that a developer had used Shopify's API on the front end of a store. So the API was designed for all these back and batch job integration style apps. Right. And it was interesting because Shopify actually didn't know how they felt about it because it wasn't originally designed that way. Cause if a store gets, a, you know, a ton of traffic and it hits the API hard that can end up, you know, taking down a platform or, or a site. So they ended up coming up with, you know, API rate limiting and throttling so that apps could live on the front end of a store. Okay. And now fast forward five years, there's Shopify has like 3000 apps and they all live on the front end of the store. So we, after we launched upsell, we started to think, okay, well, what other which is, do we want to scratch? And it was like daily deals apps and memberships apps and loyalties apps and subscription apps and wholesale pricing apps and VIP. Uh, the list kind of just kept going on. It was, it was um, for us being merchants coming to the app world, we were like kids in a candy store. We're like, well, right. we, just wanted, we just wanted to build the stuff for ourselves. So um, we ended up selling the stores in 2015. So we no longer run them. Um, for a while, we wanted to keep them. It was um, but then it just became, we wanted to focus just on the product. So, right. Wow, man. So, I mean, in a nutshell, what you guys have done is, you know, uh, like for me, I don't have any sort of develop 
development background or, and, and I think a lot of people who have that entrepreneurial or even want to start just get into e-commerce for a side gig or whatever it might be, whatever the reasons are, you guys were a huge part in allowing people who don't have much technical expertise to be able to customize your store to basically suit whatever needs you have. Um, and basically working outside of whatever limitations or boundaries a Shopify or whatever platform might give you, you guys kind of broke the mold um, for just the average person to be able to make whatever online store they want to do. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Like we, uh, the platform plays a big part in it. Shopify is an amazing platform. Sure. Um, but yeah, it used to be like for every single app that we have at one point prior to that app existing a store would pay a development agency a hundred thousand two hundred thousand dollars to to build that solution so like before we built a subscription app big brands were paying agencies to custom build them one so right. um yeah like we, it, it basically democratizes the need for these custom one-offs and now someone can install it for 19 bucks a month or something, whatever it is. So totally. um, it definitely makes it more accessible. Uh, and the marketplace is just, it's just growing. Like every week you'll log in, you'll see 30, 40, 50 new apps. It's um, at one point, Apple didn't want there to be another mail app other than, and they, they didn't want another browser app, but they only wanted Safari. They eventually said, well, let's open it up and see what developers can do. And now there's hundreds of different mail apps and tons of different, browser apps and um it really you get to the best solution you get to the best version of a product that way and there's a lot of edge cases too like a, an e-commerce platform might have an idea of how a problem should be solved just like apple might have an idea how mail should be done but right. then you have 20 other versions of all kind of approaching it from a different angle and it serves a different market so even within the space that platform like Shopify might do something like we still will do it. Just maybe come at it from a different angle. Sure. Sure. So I'm curious now, I mean, okay, so we're, we're back in 2012 and it's you and a couple of your buddies and you build these apps and they start really, really taking off. So now, now let's fast forward to today where you're at 260 employees. Maybe tell me some of the challenges and maybe how you overcame those challenges in building and scaling the company to that size. Cause that's, that's pretty huge. That's a huge leap in just um, that amount of years. Um, so just explain that story to me as well. Matt, the biggest challenge is remembering everyone's name. That's like <laughs> number one. Um, it's, you know what it's when you're building like with anyone, when you're, when you're starting a business, you have an idea for a product and you're, you're building a product and you're just focused on, making that product the best thing, trying to make money on that product, trying to listen to your customers and take feedback and iterate on the product. And that's your focus. And after a while, and, and it's also, it's very, it's very easy. You don't actually have to think too much about building the company early on. Hmm. So you, there, there's a big shift where you go from building a product to building the company. And then the company takes care of your products um, but early on when you're 10, 20, 30, 40 people, maybe up towards 50, um, everyone, you can all kind of be in one area. You can still be in one room. You can still like everyone can, we'll talk to each other every day. So the communication is, is great. Like it doesn't take, you don't need HR teams and legal teams and finance teams. Like everyone can kind of still wear multiple hats. And then there's a transition where 
you have to deliberately ch change your focus from caring like more, I don't say more, you still will always care about your product, but focusing as much on the business. And so, you know, when we went from around 60 to even up to like around 150 employees, maybe, um, where I would go home at the end of the day and feel like I, I didn't do anything because I, we went from being very hands-on. So there's four founders, myself and three others. Right. And we were like the, the, the marketing, the business development, the design, the development, like we were, we had our hands in every single product we built mm -hmm. and bit by bit by bit, our hands kind of came out and our amazing staff, like their hands were in to a point where we were one day no longer had our hands in the products at all anymore. So our, our, um, like two of the other founders are developers. They don't develop apps anymore. You know, like they lead the teams, right. like one of them is our CTO and he leads all over the uh, technology of everything, but they're not actually developing like building the apps. And so that's a, there, there's days where you go home and you feel like you were in meetings all day. You were doing one-on-ones with employees. You were having like meeting with all your leads. You go home and you like, you didn't do anything. You didn't actually right. build anything, but it's super important because your role goes from building a product to enabling uh, the company, enabling others. Um, sure. And I think if you don't make that transition, you become uh, the, the bottleneck or you're, you're the thing inhibiting growth because you still need to be in. So our main focus now is enablement. How do we remove barriers, um, re remove anything blocking any of our staff so that they can do what they need to do. That makes so much sense to me. I think like the, it seems like a really common issue is, you know, if you're like, especially like technical founders, if they built something hands-on from the beginning and then the more and more that you scale, uh, the harder it is for them to be hands-on. And I think bottleneck is the best word for it. If you're not willing to, to pass that off to someone who can own it while you're owning the business side, then the, not only will your business suffer, but the product itself will suffer, just like you're saying. Um, you, you need someone to own the product, and then you need someone to own the business. Um, that's yeah. awesome, man. I think that's, that's hugely helpful advice for people who are wanting to scale upward. Um, so yeah, I kind of want to jump into some of the things you guys are really, really good at and specialize in. So maybe these will be a little bit more like quick fire. And I just want to hear like what you think, maybe best practices. I'm, I'm trying, I'm thinking of someone, maybe a 20 to 30 year old guy or girl who is wanting to get into e-commerce. And so here are the few things that I'm, I'm curious about, maybe you could give some advice to them, um, how to really excel in these areas of e-commerce. Does that sound good? Yeah, for, absolutely. Okay. So subscriptions, the subscription model, what do you think about it? So, okay. Uh, subscriptions are a huge trend right now. And I think that one of the things that a lot of people don't realize, uh, is when you traditionally think about subscriptions, you think about products that are consumables. You think, Oh, I would subscribe to shampoo. I would subscribe to toilet paper. I would subscribe to cat food. I would subscribe to diapers. Like those are your traditional things you think about subscriptions. Right. But the brands that are just killing it with subscriptions, actually, it's none of that. They're selling subscription sunglasses, subscription jewelry, subscription clothing, subscription iPhone cases, like things you wouldn't think you would subscribe to, but, um, like if you love your iPhone case is just an example, you wear out your iPhone case all the time, it breaks to put it in your pocket, or even if you don't wear it out, you like to change it up. So people 
there's brands that are building websites that are selling you, I think, you know, it's like 20 or 30 bucks a month and you get a new iPhone case every month. Right. Um, same, same thing with sunglasses, jewelry. And it's, um, with subscriptions, the biggest thing that you're selling is curation. So if you can find a niche where you can curate, so my daughter's five years old and uh, she's getting into science and I, I'm trying to think about how I can, <laughs> I'm not a scientist, so I'm <laughs> at home and, and we're like mixing stuff together and I got rotten vegetables on my counter right now because she's learning about mold and spores. <laughs> and like, yeah. So I don't really know many science stuff, but the other day I was, uh, uh, there's a company called KiwiCo and they sell subscription science kits and you can say, my kid is three years old, five years old, seven years old, nine years old, pick the age. And it's a curated kit once a month that comes of it. It's a science kit. And mm-hmm. so it's curation. It's, I don't have to go and do a ton of research online and go to the store. I just want to be curated too. And um, it's like this for everything. So like food, they want to be curated to clothing. People want to pay a hundred dollars a month and have one outfit per month, a top and a bottom and you know they'll say some general outlines on their style like i like i'm a i'm a burly type man and i like outdoors type clothing or i'm an urban right. trendy guy and i like this so you kind of define your styles and then once a month you get a top and a bottom or maybe it's every second month a bottom but every month a top uh whatever and it's mm. curation so so the so the, those are how some people are really winning in subscriptions and then overall the the big benefit of running any type of subscription is there's actually a lot of benefits, but like predictable revenue, uh, inventory, you know, you kind of have insight into what you're going to need next month. Mm. Um, from a business value standpoint, let's say you're doing a million dollars a year in one time orders, your company is going to be worth roughly a million dollars. If you're doing a million dollars a year in subscription orders, your company's worth roughly six to eight million. It's about a six to eight X multiplier. So you're building a more valuable company um, by yeah. creating subscription orders too. So like it's good from a business standpoint. Customers love it. It's kind of one of those things that's good on all levels. And I, we always encourage people that even if you don't think you have a product that is a subscription, like a traditional subscription, just think a little bit outside the box. How can you curate that? Or how can you in some way surprise and delight your customers every month with something unique and you'd be surprised there's some really unique cases and they're just they're they're crushing it yeah no that's that's awesome man so helpful so okay the next the next thing i'm curious about is automation in your store well it's a big topic um it is (laughs) so do, do, do you mean on the storefront or in the like the back end of like shipping and products or which kind of <laughs> what area of automation how about uh the automation maybe in yeah i would say the back end like fulfillment um getting an order and not i'm picturing someone you know getting manual orders and them having to take all that information and do something with it i'm right. sure there are automated solutions to that out yeah there. oh 100 percent. so one of the big trends right now is it's not it's not recent, but it's of course drop shipping, and like so I have mixed feelings on this. Um, you can spin up a store fairly quick, find a drop shipping company, Uberload, um, uh, shoot, what's on drop? Doba. Um, there's there's a 
ton of them out there that you can you know create an account log in pick your products sync it with shopify say what you want to sell it automatically pushes the products to shopify uh you spin up the store and when the orders come in it can sync with a, a 3pl which is a third-party logistics company and there's dozens of these so the order automatically goes to them or directly to the drop shipping company and then ships the customer the product you keep your difference in the cost and you you know you, you're like hands off um and the people that do that this is a, a generalization but they generally do okay um they mm-hmm. don't it's not huge and the the reason is you're in a very very competitive space and it's it's a bit of a race to the bottom so if you're selling a product it's and you want to make ten dollars on it so you mark it up ten dollars but maybe someone else is willing to make nine dollars on it and someone else would be willing to make eight dollars on it you'll know a product is drop shipped like when you go on google and you search for a product and you see in google products 850 results for like that same product it's because <laughs> right. all these websites are just drop shipping it it's like it's so it's literally the same product it's who's willing to sell it for the least where i think you can really be really kill it is find so Forget about automation to start and then think about automation after. So I, I've seen if someone is not drop shipping, so say, well, number one is if you manufacture your own products in some way or create your own products. But that aside, even if you don't, if you find a brand or a product from a supplier or even approach like a local business in your, in your community or your city or someone is making clothing in your town that's like, whatever it is um you approach a company and you say hey can i sell your products online and can you ship it but then like to to create exclusivity um Mm. and then you your margins can be high you're not competitive you're not gonna have ten thousand people trying to sell it for the same or less price um so it's not super automated to start and then you can automate it after but um i mean so I, I think I don't, I don't always think it's good to approach setting up a store with like, okay, how can I automate everything and just go and live and, and have residual revenue where I'm not, <laughs> not, not yeah. doing anything. So like, I'm a big believer in do, don't think about like, you know, can this scale, is this going to go be big first? Like first kind of like prove a concept and then figure out if it can scale. I, I really like, it's like the Airbnb concept. Like when they launched Airbnb, they were out in California. Their biggest customers were in New York, but trying to rent apart or houses and apartments and whatever, condos. And, but they weren't renting them and they noticed that the pictures sucked. Right. So they flew out and they actually took pictures of, you know, all the rentals. They went in and took professional pictures and it was not scalable at all, but right. they wanted to prove, they wanted to prove it. Right. And so, Sometimes you have to do what's not scalable at first and then figure out how to scale it later. Um, so there is that is, once you do figure it out, absolutely everything can be automated <laughs> in e-commerce. Right. Like it's, there's very few people that do their own shipping, their own order management, their own um, like any, anything in that aspect. Like what they focus on, the biggest thing you can focus on as a store owner is marketing your store working with your you know your influencers and your community and like that's where your focus should be right and it shouldn't be on packing up boxes all day long and figuring out because they are expensive but when you think about what you'd have to pay for square footage and pay for someone 
to pack up orders all day. It's never, it always wins if you pay a shipping company to do it, unless you have some really unique product that has to be like assembled and then shipped a like custom assembled. Mm, it's mm-hmm. tough when it's like that, but uh, yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. I, no, it, I think, I think yeah. it, it did more than answer the question. I think you answered a better question in that is automation even important to focus on from the beginning? Cause I I'm, I think there is kind of this fallacy when it comes to e-com that when you get into it, it's like free money (laughs) or something, you know, like you can automate your store and you can make all this money by not like doing much, but you still have to prove that people want to buy your product at all. And, um, and I think just assuming that you're automatically going to be able to just sell things when there is so much competition, um, for whatever you could automate, you know, through an Oberlo or whatever those drop shipping sites are. I, I think, I think you're not doing yourself any favors by automating from the beginning, um, based on what you're saying, because you you need to prove that people want what you're selling in the first place. Um, yeah. And I think like you're, you're in a space gadget flow where you like in the, in the crowdfunding space, those are the best products. Those, mm. those ones all, whenever they open up stores, they, they do amazing because they're unique products. They, they have a, it's like, it's blue water. It's not red water. And you know, like the, the, if you know, kind of know that concept, but like yeah. red water in the ocean, that's where all the sharks are fighting. And it's like, it's, it's, it's a, means there's opportunity there but it also means there's a ton of other sharks and when you find that blue ocean it's it's space that you can there's no there's no competition and like um so that like yeah like this the 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 crowdfunding space is typically well just a great way in general to really get into e-commerce is first think about the product and have, whether it's unique, whether it's sourcing it uniquely, um, whatever it is, and then think about commerce, not think about like, okay. And there is people that could definitely come from it from the other end where they're just like, find whatever I can drop ship and just SEO the heck out of it. And, and you'll, that's why I mean, like, that's why I said, you'll do okay. Like you right. have more people doing okay. And that's not a bad thing. Like you might, you know, make a few thousand dollars a month on the side and it's perfectly fine. Like there's nothing wrong with it. And, if that's your goal, then that's fine. Um, but if you really want to build something big, then then it they want it typically doesn't work that way. Yeah, for sure. Okay, Jay. Well, I have one final question for you, and that is thinking back to that twenty to thirty year old. Thinking about um, thinking back to that twenty to thirty year old who's wanting to get into um, e-commerce. What would you say is the most important thing for them to focus on when? starting maybe maybe how about besides having a great product we've covered that much but after you feel after you've proved that you have a great product to sell what do you think is the most important thing for for someone wanting to get started to invest their time in so they have a great product it's selling and now they want to grow it yep i think it's not it's not making the most beautiful website in the world. I'll tell you that it's not. um, I think it's being very, very close to your customer and like the way that brands are going now is this, this trend of 
direct to consumer. It's it's that's why all the big box stores are are disappearing. Why Sears is going out of business, and why it's because it used to be that like a hundred years ago that you made a product, you opened up a shop, and you sold it, and then along came these distribution channels, these big box stores that said, "Hey." we can buy a million of your product and we'll stock it in our stores and sell it for you. And you don't even have to talk to the customer. You don't have to deal with them. You don't have to worry about them. We'll sell it for you. And over time, what happened is the manufacturers kind of lost the, they lost the communication with the customer. They didn't know the customer's voice. They didn't know what mm -hmm. they wanted. And they were completely blind to what that customer wanted. Actually the, the people that had your relationship as a customer is not like if I'm buying a, uh, a bike at Walmart. My relationship is not with the bike. It's with Walmart and my experience right. is with Walmart. My experience is with the Walmart customer. My ex like, I don't actually even have any relationship with the brand at all, but that's changing. And like the digital space is enabling it. Like you brands can now go directly to consumer. This is nothing new. This is, this is a big trend that's happening. And, um, being connected to the voice of the customer allows you. So like whether it's through communities and Facebook groups or like, like actually like interacting, like the, your support channels, your whatever, wherever they are, spend time there, mm. spend time with them, spend time at conferences, events, and just, just even just really, really connecting yourself with the customer because they'll be the ones that will grow it more virally and at a bigger scale than you can through any advertising blog posts, newsletters, whatever you want to do. Like there's nothing more than, or nothing more scalable <laughs> that can go as big than when one customer recommends it's that viral coefficient. Like when one customer recommends six other customers and those are, it just, it just grows and grows and grows. So right. you have to really, really nail the customer experience that when they get their shipment and they open their box, something delights them. There's something inside that makes them want to post up on Instagram. There's something that says like, if it's clothing, like show us how you wear it, tag it, that makes it go like really think about those things that would delight someone when they like, they get their box. Like maybe they get a phone call two days later from the CEO of the company. They, they don't know that there's only three people to work there, but it's the CEO of the store that calls and says like, Hey, just wanted to know how that shirt fit. And then I right. And then, you know, they're going Instagram or tw Twitter and be like, oh my God, the CEO of this company just wanted to make sure my shirt fit okay. Um, there's like a hundred ways you can do that, but to really, really leverage the fact that you have a direct connection with your customer. So maximize that. Um, you know, I think we, we, for years kind of tried to build walls between us and the customer. Like that was early 2000s people you'd build a store and you had all these different things where like uh, like chat automation and this and that and uh, faq articles and go to our knowledge center and that's like that's exactly what you don't want to do i mean it's good to have a knowledge center and it's good to have automation for things but like if you have the opportunity to talk to your customers it's it's really just it's it's the most it's I'll give you a really good example um I don't know if you have heard of uh, maybe a plug for a superhuman email. Have you heard of uh, them? I haven't. No. Oh man, you, you gotta check it out. So it's the best email client, and it's literally you get through email like four, five times faster than any other email client. 
wow. they have a waiting they have a waiting list right now it's thirty dollars a month so it's probably the most expensive email you'll ever use but the way it's designed is just genius and they have a wait list of eighty thousand people to get on but mm -hmm. they personally onboard so i wanted to get it and you i went on the website and it said uh, you know, sign up to get early access. And I was like, oh crap, I got to So I, I had a buddy that had it. And I messaged him. And I was like, Hey, can you give me an invite or so the way it's done is you go in it, it emails the CEO of superhuman and it says, Hey, my friend Jay does a lot of email wondering if you could hook him up. And then he emailed me back. We went back and forth a couple of times. He sent a survey to find out, well, we'd like to first know how you use email in the, in the survey. It was like, do you use it for scheduling? events is it mainly just do you integrate it with a crm like for sales tools do you do you do a lot of like photo sharing there was like a list of like 50 questions and then he emailed me back he's like i went through all your questions and it looks like everything's good um the way we do meeting scheduling is a little bit different we don't embed calendars in but as soon as you start typing uh time on tuesday like the availability like pops up and you can click one it inserts it and he's he put a gif in in the email of like this is what it would look like and I was like, oh, wow. okay, awesome. And then I, he said, okay, great. Well, let's get you onboarded. And so here, pick a couple times and we'll walk through. So you do a half hour to hour training session on using this email client, Superhuman. And by the time you're done that, A, you're using every feature of it, which normally when you install software, you poke around, you don't really know what it does. You get frustrated and you churn, you, you leave, you don't use right. it. Right. Um, but when you go through this, you know all the features of it, you're super pumped about it, and then you're gonna tell the world about it like I'm doing right now because you're so like because you're you're educated on it. Sure. And it's it's um it's just a really neat way to think about approaching the relationship with the customer and it's a it's an opportunity that we didn't used to do that, right? Like 10 mm. years ago, that wasn't the case. And right. I think it, there's a big shift happening. And I think that would be as a founder of a e-commerce store, that's the biggest thing you can focus on. Absolutely, um, man. Man, I, I, that's such a good example. I love that. Just focus on your customer and building that relationship. And I think now more than ever, we have that opportunity and we got we to gotta seize it. Um, big time. Jay, thank you so much for being on the show, man. I think you really uh, cracked open some great concepts and things. That oh, I my pleasure, man. Thank yeah, you. I thank you so much for having me. So I think you you guys are doing amazing work at Bolt Commerce. So where's the best place for people to connect with you guys online, would you say? The, your website? Yeah, boldcommerce.com. Um, you know, I'm on uh, on Twitter. It's bold underscore commerce. I'm Jason and Myers on Twitter. But boldcommerce.com is uh, where you can find all of our products. We're on multiple platforms. Shopify is our is 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 our main one, but we are available. So if you're not on Shopify, we do have apps that work in other spaces too. Um, but that's definitely the best space to find us. Awesome, Jay. Thank you so much for being on, man. We really really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was my interview with Jay from Bold Commerce. So please make sure to check out everything Bold is doing and try out their apps if you're looking to be successful in anything related to e-commerce. Thank you so much for being on this week, Jay. This podcast is made by Gadgetflow, and we're proud to be the number one platform to find new and awesome gadgets. 
So make sure to check out our site for all the new products we're curating every single day. We'll be back next week with another new episode. So please, in the meantime, head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review for our show. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Gadget Flow Podcast. 